I am on a mission to help organizations drive long-term success and results by implementing an unshakable transformation model. This model puts the employee at the center and works outward to support every aspect of the human experience in the workplace. Welcome to the Human Method Podcast. I am your host, Megan Bond, founder and CEO of the Bond Consulting Group. This podcast is designed to explore incredible guests as experts in a variety of professions and experiences to learn more about the tools that will transform an organization one person at a time. If you are seeking to improve yourself and how you live your life, or an organizational leader seeking to make a larger impact on your company through culture change, then this podcast is for you. If you are interested in learning more about personal or organizational transformation, I would love to connect with you. You can chat with me today at www.thebondconsultinggroup.com. Be sure to subscribe and get easy access to future episodes. Thank you and enjoy today's episode of The Human Method. Please join me in welcoming our next guest, who is known as an information broker and industry influencer. He is an executive leader whose history of success in the world of financial crime is directly related to his ability to keep abreast of imminent threats and to continuously create pivotal initiatives designed to protect property and critical business data. He is currently the global head of fraud and risk operations for Etsy.com, And prior to Etsy, he served as vice president with Macy's and Bloomingdale's for over 30 years in the areas of asset protection, special investigations, and fraud remediation strategies. He is considered a specialist in the discipline of big data analytics, cybersecurity protocols, and regulatory compliance. His extensive experience in financial crimes, asset protection, criminal investigations, organized retail crime, or ORC, retail operations, open source intelligence, and interpersonal team development has allowed him to lead global teams in crafting and implementing security processes that address cyber fraud activity. While others may take pride in meeting standards before them, his passion lies in delivering results that go beyond interpersonal expectations. He focuses on creating a win-win scenario for everyone involved. He works hard to actively cultivate and maintain cross-functional business relations to build and drive industry-wide initiatives in order to solve sophisticated business challenges. In addition to his private sector work, he is also the president of Blacklight Security. Blacklight is a premier specialty theft and fraud investigations consulting firm with special focus on corporate cyber frauds and intrusion. His company is a leader in conceiving effective fact-finding strategies, deploying experienced investigative resources, and applying traditional and forensic analysis in order to uncover fraud, identify perpetrators, and bring closure through proper legal channels. He holds a Bachelor of Arts in both poli-sci and criminal justice from Keene University, where he also played varsity ice hockey for four years. He is a certified fraud examiner and a certified financial crime investigator. And in addition, he has coached ice hockey at St. Joseph High School for over 16 years. Wow, what an incredible background. 
please join me in giving a warm welcome to our next guest, John Mattis. John, it's so great to have you with us today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. You know, I, when, when I'm listening, that's the first time I've listened to that bio, and I'm not sure uh, what state of mind I was in when I wrote that, but um, I got to edit that down. It's a little too long. I was, uh, I was saying, who is this guy? He's a little full of himself. No, I was thinking quite the opposite. I mean, you have a really robust, rich, dynamic, lucrative career, um, and you've done a lot of things, and, and I think that needs to be highlighted. So I'd say keep the bio. Let's add to it. Okay. All right. Well, I like to talk, so uh, hopefully you have enough time in this podcast. We will. We will. I'm, I'm, I'm super happy to be here, really. Um, you know, I know we go back a long way, but, um, you know, when you asked me to be on here, I couldn't, I couldn't be happier to, to, to join you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And John, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about in preparation for our chat today, I'm so curious. So you have had a 30-year career with with one company, with Macy's, and and mostly in the brick and mortar aspect of Macy's. Now I know Macy's is really robust in its omni-channel experience, but in the past, or well, since then, you've moved into a company within the past year that is much more of a virtual company. So now you're with Etsy. I'm really curious what that transition has been like for you and not only shifting careers, taking on a new team, building relationships with different organizational leaders, but also adapting to this more virtual and less brick and mortar experience. Uh, that is a, a great question. So let me, let me just say by, you know, I was with Macy's uh, for 30 years and, you know, so I grew up in that organization, you know, so here you have a 150 year old retailer um, who's very much uh, set in their uh, policy and procedure and, and overall culture. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, that I, that I can honestly say that in my career um, that I've been able to use to my advantage is that with a company like Macy's, so think about Macy's 30 years ago, and then think about them today. Um, and the company has changes every single year. So whether it's mergers, acquisitions, downsizing, things like that, um, you know, you constantly need to be on your toes. And so when I say, you know, one of the things that I've been able to take advantage of is that thought process that you have to constantly reinvent yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is sort of the thought process that I've always gone by in my career. You know, you're, you're, you know, you want to always be in a state where you're growing, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying, you know, so to speak. So, you know, if you're constantly looking to reinvent how you do things, discover new ways of doing things, keeps things fresh, keeps you fresh. Um, and I think that is one of the things that helped me in my transition from a 150 year old company to a 15 year old company. Um, with a much different culture, a much different uh, offering. Um, you know, Macy's is an omni-channel retailer. You know, um, Etsy is a um, online pure play. So if there is no brick and mortar, much different experience. And the transition was a little daunting. I'd have to be honest. You know, when you're with somebody for 30 years, it's not easy to say goodbye. Um, and... You know, this is where we're, we're very, very similar. 
in that, you know, we had uh, these careers and, and, and sort of uh, took a step back and, and changed gears, so to speak, into a different direction. And, you know, I had the opportunity to come to, to Etsy and, and run their program. And, you know, again, I feel like I've, you know, I'm not the same leader I was last year at this time. Um, and, you know, I feel like I'm different. Um, and I feel like I'm way more into the people development, program development, culture development, um, in addition to driving an overall uh, loss, you know, um, you know, fraud uh, prevention program, fraud loss program. Mm -hmm. So um, again, you know, reinventing yourself, staying nimble, and uh, you know, you, you say that old adage, you know, you go with the flow, sometimes works, sometimes it doesn't if the flow is going against you. Uh, but reinventing yourself is really a big part of uh, what I've done in my career that's, that's helped me along the way. Yeah. I want to unpack a couple things that you said, and I want to start with this, this notion of reinvention. Um, I think that knowing you as well as I do for someone like you, that is it, it pretty fluid. I'm certain that you have some practices in place for that. I think for other people, it can be really challenging to reinvent themselves. Some people just do not do well with change. Many don't. Um, so I'm curious, what are some of the practices that you put into place when you are going through that process of reinvention? Uh, well, good point, because you know, a lot of people do not like change. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you know, when you think of you know, changes just in my uh is sort of in, you know, in my DNA, so to speak, I love, you know, I'm uncertainty driven. So, you know, I like constant change. I like um, the dynamic of uh, new people, new environments, new challenges, uh, but not everybody is like that. And that's, and that's okay. Um, but I think the one thing that when you look at things, you know, from the past and where they are today, being open to it is probably the most important piece. You know, a lot of people shut down change from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're with a company and you feel like, and there is an opportunity um, where there's, let's say a merger, uh, which there's a lot of that stuff happening and, or where there's downsizing. You know, a lot of people go to the first thought of, uh, oh my God, I'm gonna lose my job. Fear, yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and, and that's a natural tendency is to, is to automatically go into fear. And, I've never really looked at that that way. Um, I've looked at it as, oh, this is going to be really exciting. You know, you know, deep back in your mind, you want it to work out. But if you don't go into that place of where it's going to be new and exciting and challenging, most of all, then you're going to continue to operate in that scarcity mode that, you know, you know, being afraid or uh, afraid that of what could happen. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for, you know, the way you project yourself. And the things that you may fear, um, you know, have a tendency to happen sometimes, you know, you manifest it, you know, I'm not a big fan of that thought process, but, you know, you do see it a lot. And, you know, so, you know, maybe when these things are happening, maybe you could be naive and say, you know, oh, I'm going to be a, a major part of this organization. I think it's just think, taking a step back and being realistic and saying, you know, uh, hopefully I am a part of this new organization. Hopefully uh, I can play a role and make an impact and have added value. Uh, if not, then I'm prepared to um, take what I've learned mm -hmm. and apply it to my next position. Yeah. Well, and there were some pieces in there that, that really intrigued me. Um, I think when we talk about fear, it comes back to our self-narrative. So how the language we choose to use with ourselves. And 
for me, and it sounds like for you as well, I know that when things like that happen within my organization, I'm certain that I'm feeling the energy of fear, but I'm energized by the change because I look at it and I talk to myself in a different way. Um, and I think of it as, wow, to your point, this is really exciting. Where could I find a new role within this new company? Um, if I do lose my job, what's next for me? That's really exciting to think about. So I think I'm still asking myself the same question someone in fear would ask, but in an enthusiastic way rather than in a from a place of panic. Um, so maybe if we can learn to take that nervous energy and turn it into energy, um, we can redirect it in a, in a more positive way. And it sounds like you have figured out what that practice looks like. Um, and a lot of it is most mostly intrinsic within you as it is within me. Um, I also want to touch on, you've talked about team and how you're, you're starting to focus more on people development, culture development. How has that experience been for you as, and let me ask you, how many people are on your team right now? Um, I have over, um, I have about 50 okay. people that are in plus and offshore um, outsourcing operation in the Philippines. So um, I have uh, a group of people in New York, a group of people in Hudson, New York. I shouldn't say that. A group of people in Brooklyn, a group of people in Hudson, New York, and a group in Dublin, Ireland. Okay. Wow. Okay. So that's there's a lot there. So with that, how have you stepped into a leadership role since June? So not that long ago. Um, how have you established yourself as a leader amongst these people while also focusing on getting to know them and making time for them, especially when some of them aren't even in the same time zone as you? Well, like this is where I went back to, you know, in my bio, I mentioned uh, that I coached. Um, I coached high school ice hockey. And high school is a, um, an interesting age to work with players and, and um uh, young people, you know, they're, that's probably when you're the most, um, really, you're, you're, you're clay, and you can, and, and mold at that, at that age, and I used a lot, and I would, I coached at a very, very young age, and I used that experience to help me with this, and basically, um, it all comes down to um, understanding what your team needs, understand what will motivate them, and then being consistent in your in what you say, and consistent in your thoughts, and then consistent in your actions. Um, and so, you know, one of the things when you start a new company is you get to know all of the people. So typically, what happens is you get to know the people at your level, and then you get to know the people that are at the level above you. Um, and it was extremely important for me to know every single person on the team. And as labor intensive as it was, you know, I scheduled every 60 days, uh, a half hour just to talk with my team. And especially, you know, because in this environment, in this virtual environment, you learn so much about your coworkers when you're in an office setting, just by, you know, getting a cup of coffee. And you don't have that in this environment. So spending a half hour with no agenda, except for one thing, and I'll explain what that is in a second, but no agenda really, just Tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me how you got started. You know, tell me about your family. Tell me about your friends. Tell me about your background. You know, what do you like to do? You know, you start to understand what motivates people. Um, and, you know, I like to say that everybody in the world has an X factor, meaning they have something that some, somebody else does not have. 
everybody has that. Um, it's just a matter of whether or not you've explored what that is, if you even know what that is, um, and are you able to exercise whatever that is. Some people have done it. Um, but, you know, in the conversations with people, you just get a lot from, you know, what their hobbies are and things like that. So being able to understand that, you get a feel for what motivates everybody and you get a feel for uh, how they uh, operate every day and what their uh, overall mo mood is, you know, at that given time or, you know, what their overall work mood has been over the last couple months. So I did that. And, but I always ended every conversation knowing that I'm the new guy mm -hmm. and they've been around for a while and I don't have all of the answers. So I always end every conversation is with, tell me, if you were in my shoes, what would you do next? What would you stop doing? What would you start doing? What would you do less of? What would you do more of? Um, and when you ask people that question, sometimes they're taken back. But many times they're going to tell you exactly what either you don't want to hear or what you do want to hear. But either way, those are productive things that need to be uh, uh, exercised. But I think you set a standard that you care what they think. Yeah. And, um, and I do. And I really do. And, and a lot of great ideas come at the most inopportune times or inopportune moments. But those when the best... That's when that real golden nugget really happens of information or an idea uh, that's super exciting. And it really motivates me. It, ju it really uh, juices me up. And I really want to be able to always continue to have that thought process. And that's really been my mode. You know, you build rapport with people, but how deep do you really go? Yeah. So, you know, and I still do this. So I think it's ultra important to know everybody on your team and they need to know you. And that is uh, what I consider the most important aspect of any leadership job is to be able to know your team, uh, but not just what they do at work, because what they do in their personal lives really motivates and energizes what they do in their professional lives. Yes. Well, and I, I, I was thinking about it the other day. I think that, you know, based on the conversations I've been having, as we try to lead people instead of connecting their values to our values as leaders or even the company's values, figuring out what they want, like you said, and then you need to want it just as bad and help them get to what they want. And that's really going to motivate your team. Um, and it sounds like you're doing just that. With that, John, it, it brings me to the next question, which is this, this idea of time. We have so little. And I've observed as I've worked with different organizations throughout the past decade that priorities just keep getting larger, teams keep getting leaner. And when I work with senior leaders, one of their common challenges is um, living in a space of reactivity with very little time, um, taking on more and more priorities, trying to appease their leadership team. Um, sometimes that's even the CEO. And how do, how do you make time for coaching, one-on-ones, getting to know your people? Because I think that most leaders would be able to say, yes, that's a priority. Oftentimes, that's the first thing that falls to the back burner when shit explodes and you have to focus on something else. So how do you, how do you make that a standard rather than a want? Well, two things, you know, and that's a really, uh, that's a, 
kind of a complex question, but you know everybody's thinking about it. And it really comes down to two things. One is is scheduling, scheduling it out and making it real. You know, so if it's not scheduled, it's not happening. It's not written down. It's not real. So you know that's the type of thought process I go by. And so they know it's coming. I know it's coming. And if I just if I cancel it, that's a reflection on me. Um, you know, and there's always stuff that happens, you know, so, you know, if, if I have to reschedule, I'll say, listen, I'm sorry, can we reschedule, but it happens, it doesn't not happen, um, because you need that, they need to be able to feel that, uh, feel, they need you to be reliable, um, and they need you to be able to set a standard that uh, certain things don't just fall through the cracks, and that, and this is not one of those things. To answer your question on, you know, in our new uh, structure, whether it be remote or you are lucky to be in an office or in a business setting. As time goes by, you know, companies get leaner and workforces get leaner and you're asked to do more with less. And that's when it, that's when your ability to lead is more important than ever. I go by the, you know, this is something that I do and I, and I really feel strongly about this. And some, I think some of my team probably thinks that I'm, uh, um, I'm fooling around or being uh, joking around when I say this, but I really want everyone on my team to love what they do. Mm -hmm. And when you have a small team and you have a uh, downsized team and you're doing maybe the same workload, if you have individuals on your team that don't love their job, they will not be good at it there are certain fields that you could fake, you know, you could say, you know, I really hate my job, but I'm good at it. Um, and then there are other types of jobs that if you're not, if you don't like what you do, you're not going to be good at what you do. It's just, or you won't be able to take that next step because, you know, people, you know, people either hide their emotions or they wear it on their sleeve. Um, so there's a lot of that nonverbal that comes into play when you, when you, when you're developing your team, you know, when someone loves their job, you know, it's, it's, it's in their inflections and in their voice and it's in their, and it's in their in their step and what they do every day. So I want people to love their job. If they don't love their job, it doesn't. It's not going to work out. And I try to uh, understand that as much as I can, mm -hmm. and get them to understand that I am totally serious when I say this. Is I want people to love. I love my job. I want people to love their job too. Um, and if you don't love your job today, what can I do to help with that process? Um, and I think that goes a long way in being a good leader um, and being a productive leader and getting the product and being added value to the organization, um, you know, is really what you're looking for, you know, when you're working for another organization or if you own your own company, you know, you gotta be the, you, you gotta be the, you know, you gotta walk the walk, talk the talk type thing. That's a true statement. You know, they look to you as a leader um, and, you know, the way you go, they could go. Even if it com comes down to a conference call, if you're not in the right mode, your team will sense that you're not uh, either on your game or that you uh, something may be bothering you, you know, so you really need to be uh, positive and you need to be able to do that every single day. Yeah. Well, and I think a piece of that is you as a leader taking care of yourself, giving yourself the space to re-energize. Um, and, you know, as we talk about organizations expecting more, but also getting leaner at the same time, uh, we have to become magicians with our time. And I think that, you know, one of the things I see over and over are leaders working themselves to the bone, working really hard. Um, I don't know if we want to call it the grind, which is one of my least favorite terms, 
but it's it's leaders are exhausting themselves and to your point then they hop onto a call and they're emailing on their phone and they're sending emails via zoom and you can see their eyes darting to the next computer while someone's talking on the call um so how would you encourage people to not only make time for their teams but leaders to make time for themselves so that they can be their best maybe do less but have more of an impact um, that uh, is that is an art form. Yeah. I wish that I could say that I'm really good at it. Although I can tell you that um, the person that I am today is not the person that I was 30 years ago. You know, 30 years ago I was very hard driving, um, very you know, and everybody's results oriented. But you know, when I I was working from the time I woke up until the time I went to sleep, and you know that has an impact and it has an impact on your professional life, but probably more so on your personal life. You know, are you present at home? You know, the whole work-life balance really is a thing and you need to be able to uh, know it because it applies to you and you're gonna push it on your team that works for you. You're gonna say, you know, you need to have a work-life balance, but if you're not doing it, uh, then, you know, then, then, then that's a problem. And it really takes um, a lot of trial and error. You know, I've tried lots of things that, you know, will help you help me uh, to be more present at home, uh, to be able to turn the switch, so to speak, and turn things off. Even if it's turning it off for a little while uh, is not easy. Um, and, you know, I could tell you that although I do a lot of things much differently today than I did 30 years ago, um, you know, it's the, the kind of thing where you have to think about it every day. You know, the organization that I'm with today, Etsy is awesome in that it, it really does a great, great job in taking care of its people. You know, for example, today, today is what's called a focus day at, at Etsy. There are no phone calls. There are no phone video meetings. Everybody is uh, really pushed to look at what they can do to take care of themselves personally. Um, and if they have some work that they just haven't been able to get done because they're so busy doing other things, it's a chance to do that. You know, it's an opportunity for you to say, here's eight to 10 hours where I know that I will not have nothing on my agenda other than to either take care of myself, take care of my, take care of my business or do both. And so that's forced upon as a great thing. And you need to be able to do that in your, in your personal endeavors too. So you know, if you don't work on Saturday, Sunday, try not to work Saturday and Sunday. A lot of people may not be at work, but their mind is at work. And, you know, you really need to be able to understand that about yourself, really learn how you operate as a person, you know, understand yourself and understand when you're being present at home and when you're not being present at home and then work on the things that take care of you, you know, take care of the machine. You know, the machine is you, your body, your mind. And if that's not operating in, you know, at full capacity, you know, things are going to suffer. And you know what suffers first? Your personal life. Mm -hmm. It's either your personal life suffers or your personal health suffers. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be a priority for everybody. Unfortunately, we don't always do that. So you mentioned earlier, you know, you get busy, you're trying to do lots of different things. Things are going to fall by the wayside. This is one of those things that if you don't, focus on it, it will fall by the wayside. Mm -hmm. And in a remote environment, it's very difficult uh, to stay moving, you know, keep moving, uh, 
you know, exercise, you know, this environment is not ideal for that, you know, so get creative. Uh, but I think the most important thing is your mind, because uh, that controls everything. Your stress level, you know, can do a number on you in, inside as well as outside. And I think that that is probably the most important thing is, is taking care of yourself, because you can't take care of others unless you take care of yourself. It's like that, and I always go back to, and I, I learned this a long time ago, and I think I've mentioned it in the past. It's like, you know, like when you're in a plane, before it takes off, the flight attendant will go through the safety measures, right? And they'll say to you, and, I, and for, for a, a big portion of my life, I did not understand this, but they'll say, if the oxygen mask should come down, you put it on yourself first before you put it on your child or a loved one. And for the longest time, I said, now that is dumb. That does not make sense. And then I just had an awakening uh, that, you know what? If you don't take care of yourself, if you don't put that mask on you first and you try to, you can't help others. And so that applies to so many different areas of your life, uh, both and both personally and professionally that, you know, it's probably the, the thing that I've uh, misunderstood the most uh, in my life. And now is one of the things that I understand mm -hmm. the most in my life. And I think it, it comes back to our values. Um, one of the things that, you know, I've been doing work on as I'm working on and taking on some new clients is that um, this idea of we care so much what people think about us. And we spend so much time focused on, you know, did I say the right thing? Did I do the right thing? And for, for the few of us that don't, I, I applaud you. I wish I could be you. But I, I think that it, it comes back to values, understanding, even, even something as simple as understanding what feedback to take in. And what feedback to hear, but but not absorb, because you know it's not right for you. And I think the same goes to self-care, our health, prioritizing ourselves first so that we can be the best version of ourselves for our teams and for our companies and, and for our loved ones. Um, but if we don't, if we're not clear on what we value and what's important to us, I think that it's going to be very easy to go back into, even if we're actively working on self-care, go back into this tornado of reacting to things. So um, what would your advice be on really getting clear? Because it's not easy work to figure out what you truly value versus what you think you should value. Um, so what would, would your advice be on getting really clear on what your values are and then living life through that lens, being able to say, look, this is cool, but it's not my highest value. So that's going to go in the peripheral for now. I think it's important to, you know, as you said, you know, understand yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to two things that most people have. And that is they want to be liked and they don't want to fail. Yeah. You know, think about everything that you have going for yourself, both personally and professionally, is you want to be liked. You don't want to be disliked. And you definitely don't want to fail. Now you could let your entire life control you that way. And most likely you will not be successful because not everybody is going to like you, especially the more successful you get, the less people will like you. It's just the way it goes. Um, and then the last piece is, is that you have to be able to say to yourself, I made a mistake. I'll try not to let that happen again and use it as a learning experience because you, know, you get, there's lots of, books that you can read. There's lots of videos, seminars, symposiums, uh, you know, podcasts even that you could go on and listen and try to understand what makes everybody tick. 
but it really comes down to those two things. And so if you're, if you realize that not everybody is going to like you, even the nicest person in the world, somebody's not going to like them. Um, and be afraid to take a chance. Um, be, be not, don't be afraid to take a chance. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. Uh, because if you don't, you will live in a cycle that will be very similar to the where, where you were then, will be very similar to where you are now. Because you're going to be living a life that is, um, you know, is very even kilter. You know, I have no ups and downs. You know, ups and downs is where you learn. Um, you know, it's that roller coaster, you know, the roller coaster life. You know, that's, you know, people say that all the time. But if you really think about what that is, it's the ups and downs. The ups are awesome. The downs suck. But the downs have an opportunity to learn and to say, hey, I, that was a mistake. I won't let that happen again. Or it was a mistake. It was just maybe the wrong choice. Or if I had to do that, diff if I had to do that again, I would do it this way. There's a lot of value in that. And that's how people grow. Um, and uh, there's a lot to be said for that. And you know, that's really a piece, you know, when you think about um, how you grow and how you adapt and what your values are as an individual, you know, some people just don't know what their values are. They know they want to be good people. They know they want to be good leaders. They know they want to be a role model at some point. Um, and then others maybe don't have that necessarily that persona in the workplace. However, they do have that persona at home. You know, they play a major role. They're a role model. They're a parent. They're, they're uh, a caregiver. There are a lot of different things. So you play a lot of leadership roles, whether it's personally or professionally. So you need to understand uh, what that means and how it fits into your overall values. Um, so you could try to be one thing. You could try to fake it. Uh, but at the end of the day, it always comes, you know, your real personality always shines through. And it's just important to understand that you want to be able to take chances when the time comes. Um, and not be afraid to make a mistake as long as you learn from it and know that you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. It's just not going to happen. So you can't, uh, you can't go through either life or your professional career knowing that. Um, now you, you don't want to be hated where people are going to you know, want to come after you. That's different. You know, it's just a matter of either they don't like you because you're, you're not like them mm -hmm. um, or they're not going to like you because they're envious of what you have or what you've accomplished or wish they had what you had. Uh, there's always a reason why somebody doesn't care for you. Um, but you have to be okay with that. Yeah. And um, it reminds me of a quote from Robin Sharma. He, he wrote the 5am club um, and has since written other books. Uh, but he says nothing fails like success. And I love that because it's so true. The higher up you get, if we're using the roller coaster metaphor, the quicker you are to go down again. But it also plays in reverse where once you're down, once you hit that failure, you're on an upswing. Um, and I, I do believe that failure is on a pendulum where the harder we fail, the harder we fall on our faces, the more we learn and the more we can swing back in that direction of, of hitting the really good stuff. Um, I want to cover one last thing before we wrap up today's session. And, you know, I personally am extremely intrigued with behavior analysis or behavioral analysis, which is a, a big focus of what you train people on and what you've done in your career. Um, I think that reading people and their nonverbals is one of the most fascinating things and really curious to understand um, 
what has this taught you from a from an ORC perspective and then looking at it from the lens of a leader how does the ability to read behaviors help you empathize and understand how to relate to people uh awesome question i think the one thing that um you know how I applied this in the past. So, you know, in my career, you know, I've been an investigator uh, almost my entire career. And part of the investigative process uh, in, in the corporate, pro corporate world is uh, you need to be able to uh, conduct interviews and, you know, interview, AKA um, an interrogation, so to speak. But, you know, the bottom line is, is that as an investigator that's investigating crimes, um, at some point, you're going to have to speak with um, the suspect, whether it be an employee or, or some other type of criminal, cyber criminal, things like that. So there's a whole, there's an art form to getting people to tell you what they don't want to tell you. Um, and it may sound very complex because there's a lot to what's called neuro-linguistic programming, which is understanding and interpreting nonverbal behavior. You know, if we had a conversation the entire time um, and you had this podcast on mute, I think I'd be able to get where you're going with things just by looking at your body language, looking at the way, looking at your facial expressions, looking how you respond to certain things. Um, and the same thing applies to um, an interview process where you want to be able to get people to tell you what they don't want to tell you. So that is a learned process. And I've you know, gone through a significant amount of training to understand, to read people. And I think the probably the most important thing is you can say, well, how do you know if someone's lying? Mm -hmm. How do you know that, that what they said isn't the truth? And really, it's not that. It's the other side. It's understanding when they're telling the truth. Mm -hmm. When you understand when someone's being 100% truthful, they act a certain way. When you ask them a set of controlled questions and they're answering you, when you know that they're telling the truth, you establish what's called the baseline behavior of how they operate when they are in a truthful mode. Mm -hmm. Now... When you ask a question that is where you know that they are not going to either be truthful and tell you the truth or they're going to lie to you, your investigation proves that they are the number one suspect. If you ask them, you know, when was the first time you started doing this? Again, open-ended question. It wasn't, did you do this? When was the first time? If they're lying, they will set off some nonverbal cues that you need to be able to pick up on and be able to understand that and be able to react to it with counter questions and, and, and different types of um, uh, technique. But that let's get past that for a second because that has nothing to do with um, leadership and managing people, but it's also part of being a parent and it's also part of, of being a leader is you do these things whether you know it or not. So you as a parent uh, will know if your child is being truthful or not because you know how they are when they're telling the truth, but you don't necessarily equate it that way. It's just human nature. You just, your instincts kick in as a, as a, as a parent, same thing applies to um, in the workplace. So, you know, it's a matter of using your knowledge for, uh, for good and understanding, you know, these are, when you, when you have a real relationship with your team, you have an understanding of their nonverbal cues that indicate they are in a stressful situation. They are, whether it be personal or professional, they are not understanding what you're saying. They are not getting what you're trying to articulate. Uh, they are disturbed by uh, what's happening in the workplace or vice versa. 
they definitely understand what you're saying. They definitely can articulate, understand what you're trying to articulate. They can definitely, uh, they definitely love what they're doing. It shows non-verbally and it's being able to pick up on those things. So how do you use those to your advantage? That's really the, 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 the most important thing is, is being able to pick up on those nonverbal cues and interpret that nonverbal uh, behavior without actually asking them. You could get a feel for uh, what is working and what's not working just by understanding how they are every day in everyday life. What is their baseline behavior? And then when a stressor comes up, when a uh, situation pops up, when a difficult question pops up, you will understand um, more deeply whether they are answering the question um, either in a, in a, in a, in a, in an investigative interview form, whether answering it truthfully or not truthfully, or they're answering it in a meeting, whether they really know what they're saying or they're, you know, you know, memorized it from a book, you know, you can tell those nonverbal behaviors and that's a great thing to understand, you know, and there's lots of books out there, you know, there's the law of attraction, which I mentioned earlier, you know, people like people like themselves, but, you know, understanding what motivates people and what are people attracted to. The same thing with, you know, the, the art of persuasion, the art of negotiation are all incorporate those different things. Go to a car dealership. When you walk in that door, that salesman, salesperson has been trained on neurolinguistic programming, maybe in a different sense, but they can tell what you want, what you don't want, whether you're ready to buy today, whether you're not ready to buy today. If you're unsteady, that's when they go into their salesperson mode that makes most people feel uncomfortable. And that's why buying a car in a car in a showroom is not a great experience because you know that you're getting played. You just yeah. know it. You may not know it until somebody says it to you, but you are, you are feeling uneasy for a reason yeah. because you, he, he, that guy is reading you. Uh, that woman is reading you. So that is what that is. Wow. That stuff is so interesting. I, I'm going to just put it out there to our audience right now. Um, I'm going to implore John to come back and, and let's spend a whole session talking about this stuff. Neuro-linguistic programming and, and reading people and behavioral analysis is, is so interesting. And uh, again, I think to your earlier point, this is something that people think is very challenging. Uh, but I do think that you can learn it. And it, a lot of it comes from having basic level empathy um, and being able to, to read people and, and understand people and, and feel their feelings to some degree. Um, John, my last question for you. What impact do you want to leave? What's your legacy? That's, I'm, I'm sighing. You probably picked up on that. But, <laughs> you know, um, I want to be uh, known as someone who was consistent. They were... Uh, a, always there to support someone. Always there to lend a helping hand. Always there to support someone uh, who needs it the most. You know that that empathy is something that I um, that I know is personally part of me. But I want it to be. I I hope that it is seen. You know, and I think you know one of the things that is of great significance to me is you know. I've been in the business world for 30 years. Um, so without saying my age, you could do the math. And I coached um, very impressionable high school kids for, for over 15 years in my very early 20s. And the thing that I find most gratifying 
is I'm still connected to them today because I know that whatever happened in games and what they learned was one thing, but you form a bond and you form a relationship that carries on. And it doesn't carry on just because of the fact that you have this in, you know, you have this particular uh, moment in time uh, in common. It comes down to that you are part of their life. And that is most important to me. And just by having that and knowing that gives me a great deal of solace. Um, and it's probably one of the things that I treasure the most. Wow, thank you. And, and you know, hearing that, I, I can say that I, I feel that and know that about you. You have been a great mentor and friend to me. You have supported me without question. Um, and I'm so grateful to be a part of your life and, and to know you. So um, thank you. And thank you for being on the show today. This was wonderful. I, I really loved our conversation. Um, and I hope to have you back very soon. Yeah, let's have a, let's have, uh, a topic that is just totally off the wall. Oh, you know, yes. when you want to be a guest on this podcast, number 482 <laughs> um, in the future, and we'll pick a topic that is totally off the wall, uh, that has nothing to do with crime and leadership that uh, maybe takes advantage of each of our individual X factors that no one knows about. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Um, this, okay. Is, this is awesome. I love this. Um, thank you for uh, uh, allowing me to be on your on your program. You know, I, I, I really honor you for everything that you've done and uh, where you are in your particular journey, uh, in your own business, really super exciting. And, uh, I'm so happy and proud of what you've accomplished. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the human method podcast. I am Megan Bond. And if you are interested in learning more about personal or organizational transformation, I would love to connect with you. You can reach me today at www.thebondconsultinggroup.com. I also want to thank Ayla Zimmerman for design and promotion of not just the human method, but our Bond Consulting Group site as well. She is a kick-ass designer, so please check out our site at thebondconsultinggroup.com. Sign up for our newsletter so that you can receive great content from us. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss our next episode. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme for the show, as always, is to be a little bit better each day. So remember, be better today.